0: The FT Weekend Podcast, supported by Ledger, the secure way to buy, exchange and grow your crypto. From beginner to an expert trader, Ledger has everything you need to buy and grow your crypto securely, all in one place. Reclaim power over your money. Learn more at Ledger.com.
1: The Financial Times is a house of books. If you work here, you're working with books. You're sent books. There are books lying around everywhere. I always wondered before working in journalism how it all works with book reviews. When I started hosting the podcast, it became very clear because I started getting books. Publishers sent me upcoming books to consider their authors as potential guests or to recommend, and little piles started accumulating on my desk and in my apartment. And I looked around and realized there were piles on all of my colleagues' desks, too. Books have this way of appearing and also disappearing at the FT., if you're looking for something, chances are you can wander around and just grab it off a desk.
2: Um, you don't happen to have a copy lying around of the Kissinger AI book, do you? I don't.
3: You're like the third ruler now. I know. Well. Ruler's
2: been telling everyone that it's such an important book we all have to read it. <laughs> 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 oh, she buy took the it damn last thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. We're
3: just about to go down to the books cupboard, and uh, uh, if I see one, I'll grab it. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's Fred Studeman, the FT's literary editor, fielding a request from one of our colleagues in the London newsroom. This week, Fred and deputy books editor Laura Battle took us to a secret room where they're keepers of the key. Fred calls it the book cupboard, but really it's a book vault or, you know, like a book crypt.
3: Do you want to see the really scary bit of the FT? (laughs)
4: Level level minus nine, three
3: quarters. uh, Yes, exactly. This is our sort of platform 13 and whatever. Um, No, it's uh, deep down below this building.
1: If I think I get books, Fred and Laura really get books. Hundreds of books at a time that publishers mail to them hoping for a positive review, or really any review. Fiction books, nonfiction, cookbooks, art books, poetry, how-to books, everything— books that are about to publish and unfinished proof copies of books that won't be on your shelves till the spring. They need a place to store them, hence this subterranean chamber in the basement of Bracken House. Most will never make it upstairs or onto our pages. And that matters, because the books that make it onto our pages are more likely to make it into your home.
3: So we're now, we're we're going down from the first floor of our building, Bracken House, bang in the middle of the city of London, we're going now down to minus two. There, there is oh, another floor two. below, minus three, but that is probably one minus too far. And so we're now, as you can see, it's all now looking very functional, into the ternary. We're so and deep dark. here that we
4: can hear the underground. Yeah.
1: Fred and Laura gave us a peek into this books chamber. It's a cavernous room with books filed and stacked on metal shelves everywhere. They're kept down there mostly to protect them from grabby hands because it's a pretty valuable collection.
4: There you we go. So. Uh, well, it looks like a library or the shelves of a bookshop, but actually these are books that are coming in the whole time that haven't hit the bookshops yet. And Fred and I are coming down here and working out which ones we want to review. And uh, those that we want to review, we're packaging them off, and sending them to our critics.
3: So I've just emptied one of the sacks. And um, here, I have no idea what this one is. Someone sent this. This has come by Express Mail. And I'm... Let's have a look. I'm guessing this has come from America. We get lots of books from America. We have lots of readers in America. We review books from the states. Look at all this packaging. Just, this always drives, breaks my heart a bit.
4: So the best uh, parcels are the are the books that come with chocolates. And uh, I got a miniature bottle of vodka the other day, Fred. Oh. So uh, sometimes they come with extra extra gifts.
1: This is FT Weekend, the podcast. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. Today, we're taking you into the heart of the book reviewing economy. Fred and Laura will be our guides, bringing us through what they do and how the FT goes about choosing its best books of the year. This is our first time having Fred and Laura on the podcast, though I've known them for years. And really, I just love listening to them talk about books and about being in this vault. They take a lot of care in the process.
3: It's quite therapeutic, I
1: find. I love coming down here as well. And I mean, there is a sort of Christmas stocking element
4: to opening a post bag and not knowing what's what's inside it. And, uh, you know, often you are really surprised by some titles that, that come out of the of the bag that you hadn't been anticipating. And that's, that's really fun.
1: The next day, I called Fred and Laura from our studio in New York because I had a lot of follow-up questions. Very beautiful reading voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Charmer. That's why he's in the job. So Fred and Laura choose which books get reviewed in FT Weekend, and they also wrangle our roundups, Best Summer Books in June, and the wildly popular Books of the Year in November, which just came out. Fred mostly does nonfiction, and Laura does fiction.
3: I mean, I don't want to brag too much, but it gets some of the highest, (laughs) if not the highest, hit rates online from our readers who just can't get enough of it. So it has become a much-loved fixture in the FT calendar.
1: Our experts in economics, business, architecture, music, travel, sports, and so much more each make a list, and then senior editors each choose a book. It's become a big thing. There's a Best Business Book of the Year award that's announced alongside it. The books that are chosen get prioritized in bookstores. It's a reference point. So how does it start? I was curious about how Fred and Laura make the choice of what books even make it out of the basement. It's a weird mix,
3: Lila. You know, there's things where you know a name... So and so's got a book out. So it's that plugged into your brain that that's coming in May, and you've probably already thought right. who you're going to approach to review. But there's a lot of time you just want to hold the book and look at it. I was told when I started this job, you should always hold the book in your hand. If you love reading books, we've all been there. You know, you want to be in the bookstore and you look at it. And then mm-hmm. you decide the whole process of do we want to do it? Who should do it?
1: Wow. I can imagine authors. Having anxiety hearing (laughs) that that's part of the process, but it is the tactical feeling of a book, like it kind of gives you an energy. I mean, the truth is that uh, there's a very unglamorous side to our job, which is
4: essentially packaging up books and sending them off to our contributors. So we spend quite a lot of time just going down to the bookstore, looking to see what's come in. And then uh, we're posting them out.
3: We're our own little logistics and fulfillment center. (laughs) Not quite on an Amazonian scale, but we're we're doing our best. We're plucky (laughs) little operators from a basement in central London.
1: Fred and Laura are reviewing books and assigning reviews all year round. But this is their grand finale. And it's an ongoing job in the background. As soon as one books of the year comes out, planning for the next year starts.
3: We're blessed with a really good stable of experts, um, specialist writers, critics, and Laura contacts them. What would you say, Laura, a month or two? Before? Yeah, a couple of months before... Yeah before the hit date. And maybe you should jump in, Laura, and explain what you yeah. put in your dreaded emails because yeah. it scares them enough that some of the most <laughs> unbidding colleagues we have, and we're not going to name names, Lila, but they all then dutifully file, mostly on time. It's extraordinary.
4: Yeah, well, it was a terrifying email I send off. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we give them quite a bit of time because actually a lot of the critics will read the books again so that they're really sure that these are their
1: favourites for the year. I wanted to talk to the judges about how they think about books and how they choose a good book to recommend. What does make them sure? What's the criteria for choosing something they're saying is the best book? If I'm recommending a book for others to read, then
5: it absolutely has to be beautifully written. And I definitely have a tendency to often pick books that are riveting investigative narratives.
1: That's FT editor Rula Kalaf. Remember at the top of the show? She's the one who's been recommending that Henry Kissinger AI book. She's also, you know, our editor, the editor. It's amazing she has time to read books at all. Well, I mean, I spend a lot
5: of my day reading, as you can imagine. I wake up very early in the morning. I have to read. I have to read all the the press. And then in the evening, I have to read because I need to know what everybody's doing. And I absolutely need to know everything we are writing. So weekends tend to be when, when I read and holidays. If I'm reading for pleasure, I'm reading on, you know, Sunday afternoon.
1: For her book of 2021, Rula picked Empire of Pain by Patrick Radden Keefe. It tells the story of Purdue Pharma, the producers of the drug OxyContin. Largely because I couldn't put it down,
5: because it's beautifully written, because it's a story that I have followed and I've been interested in. Yet I really wanted to read more and more about it, because it's the story of a dynasty. It's the story of the opioid epidemic in the U.S., It's painful. It's about greed and and corruption. Um, It's riveting. You know, it's one of the most compelling books that I've read in a very long time.
1: We asked a few other editors for their criteria for Books of the Year, and it was fun to hear how they chose from what seems like an endless flow. So many books, both fiction and
5: non-fiction, are essentially saying what dozens of climate books have been saying for years, namely that climate change is real, humans are causing it, and it needs to stop.
1: Polita Clark is a business columnist who spent much of her career covering the environment. She curated our climate change list. But
5: I also think it's important to find useful climate books that can explain the most critical aspects of the debate quickly and simply. It's clear, for example, that hydrogen is going to play a much bigger role in the energy system than people were expecting just a year or so ago. That's why I included Marco Alveira's book, The Hydrogen Revolution, in this year's selection. Likewise, the intensity of climate activism is clearly rising very quickly, which is why I mentioned a book that I very much doubt was on the reading list of too many FT readers, How to Blow Up
1: a Pipeline by Andreas Maugham.
2: Hello, I am Alec Russell, the editor of the FT Weekend.
1: That's Alec. He's my boss. You'll get to know him better in the new year.
2: And after much thought, I ended up with a first equal for my or books of the year. So one of them is Sentient. It's the story of 10 little-known species. And the author, Jackie Higgins, writes about the mesmerizing world they live in and how they see the world that we live in through very, very different eyes. And I'm talking about the peacock mantis shrimp and the star-nosed mole and the Goliath catfish. If you read this book, you will never think about the world in the same way again. The other book, very different, uh, is Free by Lea Ipi, uh, an Albanian writer. And Lea writes the story of growing up in the closing years of communism in Albania, which had the most totalitarian uh, and tyrannical regime of Eastern Europe and she writes about it quite brilliantly and then she looks at the transition to democracy and the free market and the price that these countries paid it wasn't an unalloyed joy to go from communism to capitalism and she just questions some of the assumptions that i and others took for granted back then because i was a correspondent in eastern europe when communism ended utterly haunting quite brilliant
1: Edwin Heathcote is our architecture critic. You might remember him from our first episode on Spite Architecture. He gave us a really long list of great books, which we've linked to in the show notes. Here's a fun one.
4: The Public
3: House, a cultural and social history of the London pub, by uh, Dave, edited by David Knight and Christina Monteiro. Uh, this is a super book which looks at the pub uh, as much more than just a space for drinking. But as, as a club, a, a social centre, a living room, a public living room, a venue you know, for music, uh, a restaurant, a retreat, a space of identity. And the architects, David Nine and Christine Matero, uh, bring together a, a series of essays on things, the aspects of, of life at the pub that you might not have otherwise expected queer history, uh, suffragettes, migration. Absolutely fascinating.
1: The editors gave me so many incredible book recommendations that we really struggled to cut them down here. I asked Fred and Laura how they keep such discipline, especially with someone like our most popular book recommender, Martin Wolf. He's the FD's chief economics commentator and one of the most influential economics journalists in the world. You know, I I look at, Martin Wolf's list. And it's like, I don't know exactly how many books it is, but it's a lot of books. And I think, okay, well, that's eight, maybe eight, 10, 12 books. More. And those are his favorite of the year. How many books is he reading? I mean, how many books are these experts reading to, to get this as the shortlist?
3: <laughs> You've kicked a, a bit of a hornet's nest there because, so as I say, Laura's very strict in her, her missive to the contributors. They all get set a budget of however many books they're allowed to nominate. But there is mm-hmm. one exception and you've hit on that one exception, which is Martin Wolf. <laughs>
4: they each nudge it up, though. They, each time there's a, exactly, the, they yeah. manage to sort of somehow get a couple more into their
3: yeah. slot. So Martin <laughs> really engages with it all. And that selection is by, is the most popular of the individual selections, the economics books. And there's even a sort of fan club out there. We were contacted by a bookseller in a very hip part of East London who wanted to know when it was coming out because he keeps a little corner of his bookshop for the Martin Wolf economics book selection, which if you knew that part of East London, you wouldn't think that was the first thing they would that browsers would be looking for. But there it is.
2: Uh, my name is Richard Grossman, and we're at Hoxton Books at 99 East Road.
1: Surprise, we went to the bookshop. It's tucked away in the corner of a very sleek gallery space, and the owner, Grossman, is standing in the middle, scruffy and excited.
2: Up here, <laughs> top shelf. Economics is selected by Martin Wolf for the Financial Times. So we've probably got these two in the most recent uh, roundup. And then we've got some from actually last summer's Religion and the Rise of Capitalism. And for instance, there's some A-listers like Alan Greenspan's History of Capitalism in America. And in fact, I think the, his whole list, just looking at it, it's just, it's just so varied. It's so broad.
1: So how does Martin Wolf feel about having a bookshop dedicate a whole shelf to his choices?
0: My first reaction was one of real surprise. Why would anyone do that? And then I felt really rather flattered. Obviously, it means that he thinks people will buy these books and uh, that it's useful to use what I've selected as a sort of guidepost to the books on economics that ordinary people, as it were, should be interested in reading. I'm not particularly pleased by that.
1: That's Martin. We wanted to know how his selections have changed over time.
0: In the past 10, 12 years ago, I really worked very hard to narrow it down to what I thought were the definitive great books. But two things have happened since then. The first is far more books relevant to economics are being published than used to be the case. And that's not surprising. We are living through an age of of economic upheaval in almost every dimension. And the second thing I've tried to do is very consciously to offer books with very different perspectives. Books on topics like climate change, books from what are called heterodox economists, economists who reject the standard dogma of uh, neoclassical economics. And I, in the end, choose books which I think will interest people.
1: So how does he get through them all?
0: Let's be very clear. I I don't claim to read every page of every book. Uh, It's impossible. I gut books. Uh, I follow Samuel Johnson gutted books. And I'm very good at gutting books. I've learned to get the guts of a book, understand what it's basically saying. And then if I think it's an exceptional book, I will devote time to exploring it in more detail.
1: There is a type of book that Martin is not seeing on bookshelves. Something definitive. Something that could help us through this tumultuous time.
0: You know, I want the answers. And I don't think we are producing that. In the 30s... One of the most important books in the history of economics, Keynes' General Theory, was published, I think, in 1936. We're in a period of comparable upheaval. I certainly don't think anyone has written a book as transformative as that was. And I would like a book which says something I haven't thought about, which says, here are our problems, and this is what we need to do to fix them. It's the book to be done but I don't think there's anyone around at the moment, including very definitely Thomas Piketty, who's been trying to do this, who actually is able to write that book.
1: I've put the whole list of Martin's recommendations in the show notes, which includes 13 books on crypto, sustainability, budgeting, different narratives of globalization, one for every season. But back to Fred and Laura, our literary tour guides. I'm curious if the books that you're seeing are changing and the topics that they're covering or the way that they're writing or the things that readers seem to be connecting to.
3: The good news is, as we're all reading. In terms yeah. of the topics, it won't surprise you. There's been a lot about COVID in all its expressions of, you know, <laughs> the state of vaccines, how we live with viruses, everything. It's all there. Mm. And we're going to get a lot more, I think. I don't know about you. I'm not running to read those books. Yeah. The thing that I'll tell you is something that I really has captured me over the last year or two because it's an area that, unlike Laura, I probably wasn't as engaged with it, but it's sort of nature. And it's everything from birdsong to the shape of landscapes.
1: Do you have any books specifically that you'd recommend?
3: Well, the one I really loved was from a London-based writer, Helen Gordon, and it's called Notes from Deep Time. The notion of if you just stopped and went down in the earth, Down, 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 down. All the sort of, you know, long histories that would tell you about how the planet Earth has evolved. Sorry, I'm starting to wax a bit too lyrically here. (laughs) No,
1: it's nice. Laura, how do you feel
4: about the books that you're seeing? Two of the best books that I've read in the last six months. One is tiny and one is huge. The huge one is Crossroads, the latest Jonathan Franzen book, which is big in itself, but is also the first in a planned trilogy of books he's writing that'll follow this family from the the early 1970s throughout the rest of the 20th century. And I love that novel. And the small one is called Small Things Like These. It's just over 100 pages long. And it's set in um, small town Ireland in the run up to Christmas 1985, I think.
1: And that's Claire Keegan, right? Claire Keegan. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Both actually. That's on my bedside table. Yeah.
4: And it's sort of miniature in all senses. It's it's just a very sweet story about uh, an encounter that the protagonist has
1: in a local convent. We spent the next 20 minutes talking about books we love this year. Time got away from us. Fred recommended a lost novel written by a Jewish writer in the 1930s who lived through Kristallnacht. It's called The Passenger. We talked about Just the Plague by the Russian writer Ludmila Ulitskaya. Could I add
4: uh,
1: one more? Yes,
4: please. Because uh, I chose not to read the Colson Whitehead novel, Harlem Shuffle, but listen to it as an audiobook, and it's read by Dion Graham, and it's just brilliantly well-read. It really takes you onto the streets of 1950s, 1960s Harlem, and it's a sort of crime caper, but it's beautifully
1: written. And that's how it is when you work in a house of books. There are always too many, and there's never enough time.
3: Right, so I think that's it. So I'm now going to grab this. People laugh at me, you know, when I come back up. And sometimes you can't see me because the stack I'm carrying goes up to here. And normally people, the colleagues, come out with the very original thing of saying, that's an awful lot of books. Uh, but there you go. Anyway.
4: They just want to strike up a conversation because they want to see if there's one they can review yeah. or they can pinch.
3: Thankfully, our colleagues will come and uh, empty the amazingly full bin with all the packaging which sadly is probably just going to go to i don't know where everything's safe there now so
1: that's the show this week thank you for listening to ft weekend the podcast from the financial times next week is our end of year episode We're still collecting your cultural predictions and wishes for 2022. And the ones that we've gotten so far are amazing. So keep sending them in. FT Weekend Magazine editor Matt Vella is joining me and we're going to chat through them. It's going to be very fun. So send us a voice note at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. There are details in the show notes for how to participate. And it's on all of our social accounts. We'll also have two experts on the show that I can't wait to introduce you to. One is our wine columnist, Jancis Robinson. She is like the goat. She's the greatest of all time for wine. And the other is our pop music critic, Ludo Hunter Tilney. I've asked them to be gracious enough to give us a real education on how to make the perfect playlist. As always, I've put links to everything discussed in the show notes. We're on Twitter at ftweekendpod, Pod, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Lila You can always find behind-the-scenes photos of things that have been on the show on my Instagram. If you want to explore our coverage more, I have a really great deal on an FT subscription specifically for listeners to the show. We've got half off a digital subscription and a $1 trial. All of that is at ft.com slash weekend podcast. We'd also love for you to leave us a review or share us with your friends or on social media and tag us. That really, really helps support the show. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my team. Katya Kumkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith and Josh gabbert Doyen are our assistant producers, with additional help from George Drake Jr. Breen Turner is our sound engineer, with original music by Metaphor Music. Cheryl Brumley and Manuela Saragossa are our executive producers, and we have editorial direction from Renee Kaplan. We'll find each other again next week.
0: As the world changes, so does the tech we need to secure what is important to us. And if you own crypto assets, you need a safe place to store your funds. At Ledger, we provide a secure and straightforward way to buy, exchange, and grow your crypto. Whether you're an expert trader or just starting on your crypto journey, Ledger has everything you need all in one place. Ledger, the place to buy and grow your crypto securely. Reclaim power over your money. Learn more at ledger.com.